Welcome back to the Kenny Chester Podcast. I am your host, Kenny Chester, and today we're going to be talking about COVID, specifically pandemic versus endemic. We're also going to be talking about some of the studies and how people can draw different conclusions from the same studies and how that is possible. I think it's going to be a fun episode. Buckle up. Let's get to work. I don't know. It seems to me that he shouldn't be saying that. Well, what is it that you want him to say? Shut him down. Well, because I'm a glutton for punishment, I'm going to talk about COVID some more. <laughs> and uh, I kid, I have the best listeners in the world. I do have occasionally will have some uh, complaints. And so when I get them, I want to be honest about them. I don't want to hide them and say I only get good reviews. So I'm going to share one of those voicemails right now. Uh, you're live on the air. Kenny. I agree with everything you said. Oh, that's very kind. Thank you, Blake. Um, <laughs> one day we'll have Blake on the uh, podcast and you guys can meet him. Without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into today's topic. We are talking about the pandemic, and we have been in this pandemic now for going on a year and a half, a little over a year and a half. I think it started um, the first case, uh, official case, was uh, tracked down in December 2019. And so we've been living through this pandemic all together, and we, uh, I believe we are, uh, this is a personal belief, I don't have data, and I, I need to stress this. I did this on the first vaccine episode. I need to stress this again. I am not a health expert. Do not take my opinions as gospel truth when it comes to what you should do in your life concerning COVID and vaccines and masks. I have people that ask me my opinion and I share my opinion, but I have to share it with a cat with the share it with a caveat that I am not a health expert. Um, I like to read the stuff. I like to follow the stuff. I'm married to a um, healthcare provider. Um, but I would recommend that you do your due diligence. You read the, uh, what you, feel that you've trust, you know, that's something we've talked about on the podcast before as well, uh, the sources that you read. But, you know, more importantly, I think you should talk to a health expert. And personally, your own uh, doctor or your own nurse practitioner, whatever, whoever you go and see for your other health decisions. And if you don't have that, then you're probably adverse to that community. And, you know, that's, that's the choices you've made and you live that life. And that's totally as an American, that's totally, um, something that you're, uh, a choice that has been made available to you. Nobody's going to make you, um, go to the doctor against your will. Now, sometimes you maybe have a wife. <laughs> uh, I know some cases like that where the wife really pushed the husband into getting treatments and I, I get all that, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, but the, the crux of what I'm trying to get across right now is don't take it from me only. If you want my opinion, I'll gladly give it to you. Anybody that's known me since I've been a teenager and even before then as a child, my mother would tell you I am I am um, standing at the ready when it comes to opinions. And so I, I've been asked my opinion. I give my opinion. I get comments uh, on the show or text messages and say, hey, are you going to address this? I would like your opinion on this. Uh, now, I do have personal conversations with people where I share my opinions like that. But if it rises to the level that I think that it'd be a good podcast, I'll put it out there. But that being said, again, and I must reiterate, do not take what I say as the gospel. You know, if if you're if you're seeking opinions, I got them. If you're if you're seeking expertise, 
I got that. I don't. I am not a health expert, so please do some follow up, do some reading, and have those conversations that are necessary between you and the person that has been tasked with looking out for your health. That being said, I'm sent articles a lot. People know that I enjoy reading about uh, things that are happening in the world, so I'll get articles occasionally be sent to me. One of them was sent to me by a listener uh, and a friend um, that was Dr. Scott, and I, I probably get his name wrong. I think it's Golub. He was the um, former head of the FDA, uh, served from 2017 to 2019, I believe, if I get that correct. Um, and there was an uh, article in Business Insider that was talking about his uh, beliefs on the pandemic. I, it was sent to me, and uh, I told the person, I read it when they sent, uh, sent it to me, and I told him, I was like, you know what, I believe, I, I, I agree with that. Obviously, this man is an expert, and it's always good if you have an opinion and you can have it backed up. I wasn't seeking this article, but this article um, was was sent to me, and I was like, hey, that that's kind of what I think already. Obviously, he has all the, the jargon, the technical uh, vocabulary to articulate it more than I could, but he believes that we are entering or going to be entering an endemic category as opposed to a pandemic. And so you say, what is the difference? Well, a pandemic is a pandemic is what happens when there's an epidemic. Okay, an epidemic is an outbreak of this a virus that that's surging. There's a high number of people getting it. When that's a, an epidemic started in Wuhan, China. Now the fact that it it went cross cultures, cross countries, cross continents. Now that it becomes a pandemic that it's, it's, it's surging across the globe in these uh, rising numbers. And so we've been in a pandemic uh, for over a year and a half. So we're getting into a place where we're, we're at an endemic. So what is an endemic? An endemic is when that the virus is there and it's Basic, it's it's still spreading, but not like in a, in predicted rates. If I could say it that way, maybe that's the best way to say it. Like we know it's here, that that it's not like surging across the globe. There might be outbreaks in regions, like an Ebola outbreak um, somewhere in Africa. That's an outbreak. And but it's not endemic to the American population. And so when we say endemic, I think that Corona uh, or COVID nineteen is going to be endemic to. The countries you can confine it where it's at with with high vaccination rates or high natural immunity rates, and it still will spread, but it won't be in surging numbers, and it's going to be predictable uh, in the rates that it, it spreads. Kind of like what we deal with the common cold and with the flu. Now, when you say something like that, you automatically get hit from both sides. You get hit from the one side that says, "Aha, see, I told you it was just a bad flu," or you get hit from the other side and say, "Chester, you moron, it's not just a bad flu." When I say that it's going to become like the flu, what I'm trying to get, uh, the point I'm trying to make is not that Corona is, number one, it's not that it's not as deadly as what has been proven. I think it is. I think it is a, 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 a virus that has killed the amount of people that they say killed. Now they might, you say you can contest the numbers. Uh, there's a good ways to look at it. You can look at excess deaths or whatever, um, and say, well, those people would have died by something. I get all that. I understand what you're saying, but I think that Corona killed a lot of people over the last year and a half. I'm just in that camp. I believe that this specific virus was the cause of a lot of deaths more so than what the normal seasonal flu would have called. So I'm not saying that I'm not saying that it's 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 dangerous as the flu or it's 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 on that level. I'm not saying that. On the other hand, 
I'm also not saying that the corona will become less dangerous as far as a or less deadly as far as the virus goes. The reason that corona has affected the population as it has is because it's and then it's that word that we help we heard over and over at the beginning of the pandemic. It's novel. It's new. It's novel. And so as more people get it, as more people uh, become immune to it, whether by immunization, by a vaccine or natural immunity, by having a prior infection, as the more people get it, we will have a tolerance toward it. We'll have antibodies. We'll have T-cell memories. We'll have the spike proteins, all the things, all the things that we know that vaccines and uh, natural immunity can help us with. And at that point, COVID will still be here. It will still be spread, but will be less dangerous to the degree that we have had it before or our bodies are ready for it. And 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 that's what I'm saying that we'll get into a place where it will be like a seasonal flu. There might be a new strand of it. Um, that one particular strand might have mutated in a way that makes it more um, dangerous than the last strand. And our body has to play catch up on producing the antibodies or, but the fact that we already have T cell memory on, on some of it will help. And so you, you got to thread the needle uh, when you talk about these things because you don't want because you're going to get it from both sides and I do I get it from both sides when I make these uh, these 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 comments but that's that's my position this is what I believe I believe that we're entering into an endemic place where it will be spread among our people and this is one of the positive things it seems like when it is when a child is infected that they do not have as bad of a time or a difficult of time as an elderly person and so as it spreads through the the population and the thing is like we don't want it to spread wildly through the population there were several reasons why we don't want that to happen um, you know the first reason they gave was the overwhelming or overwhelming the health systems another thing is like before we get a vaccine for the most uh, immunocompromised among us like elderly people or people with autoimmune disease or whatever you know the case may be, uh, we don't want it just spreading like wildfire. And so the good, one of the good things about COVID, it seems like it doesn't affect children as bad as it does affect elderly people. So I personally believe that the children will get it and the people that you know, and that's not saying that it will never negatively affect a child to a degree where they have to be hospitalized. The more children get it, the more of those cases will happen. I'm not being heartless when I say that. I'm saying statistically, they are not they're not being hospitalized or having severe illness uh, at a rate as as compared to like 60 and above. And so I believe that children will get it at an early age and they will have some type of immunity going forward. It might be like a common cold um, it might be um, like, you know, uh, something I'm trying to think of, of another way. There's only been two diseases that, I, that, I'm, that I'm aware of that have been completely eradicated. Um, one of them was smallpox and the other one was like, uh, what's, the, what's the name of the disease? It's the one that affects cows, um, starts with an R. But, but anyway, um, there, you know, polio is on its way to being uh, eradicated, uh, which is, that's, that's great. Um, but when it comes to something like... Um, like a coronavirus that we experience, we have we've had coronaviruses for for ages. There, there, it's it's like a it's a it's a cold virus. Uh, now there have been some deadly ones that have emerged in the last you know twenty years. Uh, uh, MERS and SARS uh, were both coronaviruses. Uh, I I think that SARS, from what I understand, has in like in essence disappeared um i haven't seen anything recently about that um and and one of the reasons why it did from what if i remember was it was so fatal or so deadly i was killing like one out of five people that had infected but you would get sick 
like really quick and they can identify you, quarantine you and limit the spread uh, for like some like, you know, to prevent like a global pandemic like we've experienced with Corona. Well, one of the reasons Corona was so bad was that you could you could have it in your system from some studies said for, you know, 24 days uh, without even experiencing any symptoms or whatever. So it's hard to contact trace and quarantine and, and you know, people are out there feeling fine and spreading it. And you have these you again, you have a pandemic on your hands. And so um, I personally feel with how coronavirus, the novel coronavirus, you know, COVID-19, uh, SARS, and I don't even know all the numbers that, that is required to to, <laughs> to articulate it, but I, I feel like the, the way that it is, uh, the way it's constructed, um, and I'm not saying man-made, I, although I, I am on the, the side of, I believe it was gain-of-function research, and I believed it was escape from a lab. I'm not going to say release from a lab, but I think it was some um, very uh, low standard of safety protocols and all that stuff that, that caused this. Um, we have, I think there's a case being built right now. Uh, I would recommend, uh, Josh, I think his name is, uh, Rogan. Um, I'll, uh, uh, post, uh, some of his Twitter stuff or maybe he did a podcast with Barry Weiss. Um, that was really, really good. If you want to, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, uh, on the gain of function in the, the Wuhan, lab of virology, it's, he's, he's got, he's got receipts and it's really, really good. Um, so when I say that, when I say the genetic makeup of it, I'm not saying like that it was totally man-made, but I believe the genetic makeup of it, the fact that it's RNA and not DNA, the fact that it has, you know, spike proteins, which is, uh, you know, uh, an indicator of the corona, all the corona. I think this is number seven of the coronaviruses. I think we've had six coronaviruses before. Um, this is number seven now. And that, that, that sound that you hear, that clicking sound, that's all my people that love eschatology. That's the furious typing <laughs> of the, of, of numer you know, the study of numbers in the book of Revelation and what it means. It's the seventh. Oh, no. Oh, it's a it's a vial, you know all this stuff. I get that. I'm not that guy. Uh, but if you hear that while I'm talking about it being the seventh, that's probably what you're hearing in the background is all your um, eschatology friends that are that are rushing to draw conclusions from that. And so that's basically I, I I'm about 14 minutes into today's uh, episode, and that's where I'm standing right now. Uh, that doesn't mean because it's going to be here, and because we are heading out of the pandemic territory. In my opinion, that doesn't mean that we should throw caution to the wind and, and, and be stupid. But it does mean, I think we have to start, stop treating this virus as something that's going to be eradicated. Um, and that's going to take a, that's going to have a shift in public policy. Now, I don't know what Biden's planning on announcing today. I know that they're going to be, um, ramping up some safety protocols. They're going to be requiring something to people. I don't have a, I don't have a good feeling about it. I think it's going to be stupid. Biden has had a whirlwind of problems, uh, over the last month. We ain't even talked about it as something I didn't want to talk about every month on the, or every week on the podcast. I might have to start revisiting some of those issues, maybe do it on a weekly or a, a bi-monthly basis. Um, we haven't even talked about the Af uh, Afghanistan debacle. We haven't talked about, um, the response to uh, the the hurricane. We haven't talked about uh, the surging border crisis again, uh, the drugs that are being brought over. Uh, and I think that Biden needs a win. And here's the problem. When, when you blame Trump for the surges of coronavirus last year, and you promise, I remember this statement, I don't know if you remember this statement or not, but Biden said, he says, I am not going to shut down the economy. I'm going to shut down the virus. And there was a big applause line and Everybody in the debates, you know, a hall, they love that. I shouldn't say everybody, you know, I'm sure um, Trump supporters didn't love it because they, they realized what a ridiculous statement it was. But that's one of those, you know, 
applause lines that you're looking for in a debate. Well, the problem with making that comment is when you come and you are the president and the virus is seemingly out of control, um, then if you've put the blame on the other guy when he was president, then that blame has now assumed on you. And this is something, this is a great article. I'll link it in the description. You need to read this article. His name uh, is Charles Cook, and he writes for the National Review. And he uh, he says, you can always tell when a Democrat is president because uh, everything becomes the country's fault and not the president. <laughs> and it's, he makes a hilarious case. It's a really good article, though. It's well thought out. I love listening to Charles Cook. Uh, he occasionally will appear on a podcast, uh, and he's very intelligent. I don't know if he's English. You know, he's got that very intelligent accent. I want to say it's like some British uh, accent, but um, I think he's an American. I think he lives in America now. And he writes for the National Review. But one of the things that he says in the article is, you know, when Trump is president or when Bush is president, everything that happens is is a re- direct result of re- conservative policies, a Republican presidency, and all these things. But when a Democrat is in office, it's the country that is to blame. And there's so many articles, you know, since Biden has been president that come out and say, you know, it's our fault. We're the blame. You know, we're the. And it's just it's a it was a funny um, insight that I that I, I did not draw myself. So all that being said, that's where I stand on that particular issue. Let me get into some studies now, and I'm not going to cite any study in particular. I'm going to cite a phenomenon in which studies that can be brought to your attention seemingly have the opposite conclusion drawn from the data than everything that you know about an issue. And it's, 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 it's basically, it's a paradox. And so you look at it. Now, the first thing you need to do is like, you should consider seriously, am I wrong? (laughs) Is everything that I know about this issue, am I wrong? I could be completely wrong. I've done that before. I've looked at data that come out on a study and be like, I question everything. I was like, well, do I even know how to count? (laughs) You know, am I, is two plus two, four, you know, maybe they're right. Maybe two plus two is five. And, you know, and those studies that, 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 come out like that, you wonder about what is causing this to be the exact opposite of every study that I've seen that is set against it. Uh, And this is, and I can't, I'm not going to say the bad word, but this is um, one of the, I think there was a famous, I call it a proverb, but basically says there are uh, three kind of lies, um, lies, blank lies and statistics or something like that. Uh, and I, I could be completely butchering that uh, quote, but it's basically saying, you know, you can take statistics and have them mean whatever you want them to mean, depending on uh, who's doing the interpreting and what kind of narrative you're seeking after. Of course, we all have biases. We all have presuppositions and we all have a tendency to go and find articles that um, confirm our biases as confirmation bias. We, I, I get that, but I'm saying if you're truly intellectually curious and you're reading data and you're and this is something that has been proven. All right, let's give an example of Simpson's paradox. You say, this is just some fancy way of saying that you're right, even though the data says you're wrong. I'm, that's not what I'm trying to do here. I hope everybody knows uh, that I operate in, a, in good enough faith where uh, I, I don't engage in that type of thing. I, like I will gladly, I should, maybe not gladly, but I will definitely admit when I'm wrong. I might begrudgingly <laughs> admit when I'm wrong. But let me give you an example of, this is a common example of Simpson's paradox. And this is one that it was hard to figure out when I first heard it. Um, now, I grew up in the 90s. I was a 90s kid that was in West Tennessee, the closest baseball team to me uh, at that time. Well, I shouldn't say uh, it's probably it was it was 
a coin flip between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Atlanta Braves. And my dad was a Cardinals fan, and me and my brother both were Braves fans. I think it was we did it just despite dad. Dad had a personality where he was he, he wanted his he wanted his teams to lose. And um, and I, it's so funny now that we've grown up, we're all Cardinal fans. Uh, but in the '90s, we were Braves fans. A lot of that too was because in the '90s, the Braves were awesome. I don't know if you remember the Bla- or the Braves of the '90s, but you had like some of the best pitching baseball has ever seen um, with. Uh uh, Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin, uh, and what was the Avery guy, uh, as well. Um, they had some fan and they had some great, uh, hitters. And one of the hitters, his name was Dave justice or David justice. And I remember going, uh, and watching these guys play. Um, there was a, uh, a, a weird thing that emerged from the 1995 and 1996 baseball season in which David justice had a better batting average than Derek Jeter in both years. And, Year 1995, David Justice batted 253. In 1996, he batted 321. The same year as Derek Jeter batted 250 in 95 and 314 in 1996. So you would say, well, Dave Justice definitely over the two years, he won both years. He's definitely had the betting, the best batting average. Um, and that's actually not true. If you aggregate the data, Derek Jeter in those two years combined had a batting average of of 310, which is a really good batting average. Uh, and David Justice had a batting average of 270. Now you say, how is that even possible that two guys uh, head-to-head both times, one guy loses and the other guy wins in both years, but then when the aggregate data it comes out, they're, the other guy that loses two years in a row actually has the better batting average over both seasons. And this is Simpson's paradox. What you have to understand that lurking in that data, if you if you just charted that on a chart and you just give it the, the base information, you know, and you left out something like how many at-bats. Because in year 95, Derek Jeter only had 48 at-bats. And in 96, he had 582. But in David Justice in 95, he had 411 at-bats. But in the next year, he only had a 140. And so when you do the totals, you realize that 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 that's, that was your that was what they call confounding or confounding data. It's 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 something that just it 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 affects both the independent uh, and the constant variables or the dependent variables. And this is something you have to realize when you're looking at statistics. There are certain things that it seems to chart a certain way or trending in a certain way. I'll give you one that's uh, COVID related. And this was the first time that I heard of the Simpsons paradox, and I can't remember when I read this article, but it was it, I think it was months ago, and I'll link the article in the description. Um, this is a was a graph um, that was charting the uh, the CFR, which was the case fatality rate by age group uh, between China and Italy. Now, uh, and you're not looking at the chart, but if you look at the chart, you're going to notice that at every age range, the the fatal, fatality rate is higher in China than it is in Italy. And it suggests it so that suggests that people in Italy who have COVID nineteen are more likely to survive than the people um, in China with COVID nineteen. Now, we can get carried away with reporting these findings and firing all sorts of criticism at the Chinese health service, and um, and we look at this chart and we take it as the gospel truth, but then we got to notice other data that's being represented that was being overlooked. The aggregation of all the data suggests the opposite, that people in China have it better with a lower fatality rate than in Italy. That's what the chart is supposed to be showing. But how on earth can that make sense? 
So you got to you got to start introducing more data. So the key about the graph that the, the initial graph shows is there are a significantly larger population of older people with COVID-19 in Italy than in China. This is important because we know the age places a or, uh, plays a crucial role in the survivability of COVID-19, and young people are more than likely to recover. So basically, Italy is doing better in every age group, and they're actually doing better in the elderly as well. They just have more elderly people than China does, which to me already has ominous <laughs> implications on the Chinese government. Um, we know about uh, the population control measures that exist over there as far as the uh, childbirthing rates, um, but that's that's a different podcast. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm staying in on, on Simpson's paradox, and so when you have a a a a, a lurk a lurking variable that the fact that when we're talking about percentages of people dying when on base in a country, something as small as small as that detail that oh Italy has so many more old people than China does. And so when people contract the disease, even if it looks like if the, all the data is showing you that China is really killing it over there, no pun intended, um, it, 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 it's just that one confounding piece of evidence. And it changes the whole game. And this is something that um, that that is very um, useful to have when you're looking at uh, hospitalization rates when it comes to vaccinated and unvaccinated people. People will, will give me a study. They'll send me a study, uh, and it'll be, or, or numbers. It won't even be a study; it'll just be the numbers. The numbers this week are in this hospital. There were there were uh, so many people in this, and there was all these people that were in the hospital. They were they were vaccinated, or they they had. And I look and say, okay, can can we discuss the confounding uh, variables that, that could be causing that of the younger and the older population, who's more, who more than likely to, to have been vaccinated. Well, we've, we've, we had a big push to vaccinate the elderly because they will do worse with COVID than the young people. So we already have one variable that is imposing itself is that of the vaccinated, a lot of them are going to be elderly people and of elderly people that, that if they have a, a high vaccination rate, that means there's going to be more breakthrough cases. And so the breakthrough cases are going to be happening in elderly people who are, who will struggle with COVID. And so when, and, and which means that they will be hospitalized and in, in some cases that they'll have death. Does that mean that vaccines aren't working? No, vaccines are working incredibly well. There's study after study after study that shows the vaccines are working on you say working, Chester, what do you mean? I mean, keeping 90% of people that have them out of the hospital with serious illness. I think that's a good thing. And that's why I'm, I'm pro-vaccination when it comes to, especially the people that would not uh, have a good time without it. But when you say, well, a lot of those people in the hospital are vaccinated, or, or you say something like Vermont that has high vaccination rates, and it's like, well, they got a lot of people that's in hospital vaccination. Of course, because they've got more people in the population that has has the vaccine. The numbers are always going to go up. It's it's, And I think I might have said this on the podcast before. If you look at it and say, okay, every COVID death in 2020 – up until at the very end, you know, when the vaccines were, were being put into practice, which I don't even think, I think we didn't have wide scale vaccinations going on at the beginning of 2021. I might be incorrect on that, but all the COVID deaths before the first vaccine were of the unvaxxed. I mean, statistically, that's true because there was no vaccine in existence. And so for anybody that, that points out to say, well, we've got a rising number of people with the vaccine that are in the hospitals now, duh. Obviously, there was no vaccine. So if the number is zero 
and people that are now getting vaccines that you're entering in a new realm where they they couldn't they couldn't even exist in 2019 and in a large part of 2020 because there was no such thing as somebody that was vaccinated against covid and so if you have if you have one week have zero vaccinated in the hospital when because there was no vaccine and then the next week you have one or two that are in the hospital with, that has the vaccine and there's been a million people that get it you can still say, well, we've had a hundred or 200% increase in vaccinated cases at the hospital. Yeah, because there was zero. It's going to go up as more people get the vaccine, obviously. And also the people that get the vaccine, especially the ones that got it early, they probably are elderly or have some type of immunocompromised uh, deficiency or, or however you would say that. Those are the ones that we prioritize at the beginning to get vaccination. So a large percentage of the vaccinated population already have factors that would put them in a highly hospitalized category to begin with. And so those are the things you have to consider when looking at studies um, that bring these sensational numbers to you, um, whether they confirm or contradict your bias. Maybe just look for some uncontrolled variables. Uh, did they control for this, you know, in that part of the population? Last thing I'll say today, this is kind of a funny uh, story, uh, where it's uh, maybe borders on the line. It's probably not Simpson paradox, but one of those uh, correlations does not equal um, causation uh, type uh, models. <laughs> I was at the co-op store a couple weeks ago, me and my wife had um, led an effort, uh, me, my wife, and my mother had led an effort to uh, raise money and, and funds and needed items for the flood victims of Waverly, uh, Tennessee, and um, McEwen, Tennessee. And our church stepped up, community stepped up, our family stepped up. It was a great thing. Well, we were monitoring Facebook groups to see exactly what they needed. We didn't want to bring a bunch of stuff that they didn't need. And it was changing daily. And at, well, at a certain point, they are like, we don't need any more clothes, but we do need this. And one of the issues there was they had gotten a lot of supplies for people that came in. They needed a certain size clothes, and so we purchased those clothes. And somebody went out there and said, from the Humane Society, it would be good to have some type of horse supplies. And so we were like, well, this would be good. That and for dogs, you know, we wouldn't even consider something like that. And so um, we, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but we are surrounded by horse people. So I called some of my, my cowboy friends like, hey, what would be some general supplies? They asked for general horse or equestrian supplies. And they gave me a list of things. So I went by the the co-op uh, in in uh, in my uh, in my local county, and they uh, they had a sign up. There were some uh, horse medications. They had a sign up for ivermectin, um, which this is kind of uh, call back to last episode, which is a, a good note to end on today's episode. Full circle here, but they had a sign up and says, "Please do not take this ivermectin." Uh, uh, for your your COVID symptoms, or so this is dose for a horse. It's also got inactive, you know, all these agreed, all the things that I talked about on the last episode. And uh, we were we were not obviously looking for ivermectin, but we passed by it. And an employee that had been helping us get some of the other needs, she she laughed and said, "Well, you know, I can't believe we had to put that sign up, but we were actually, you know." And I was like, "Yeah," I said, "Yeah, I figured there'd be a run on it. Uh, we knew that some other places had sold out because of that." And uh, she said, she said, yeah, we had to put that sign up. She goes, you know what, though? I hear that the, the Amish are taking it and they've been taking it. And which is if you to know this comment, you have to understand that I live very close to a large Amish uh, settlement I'm within 10, 15 minutes. And we can go and get, uh, they, they sell their, their produce and they have sawmills and uh, them craftsmen, the, uh, the ship that they do on their items is really, really good. And so 
we we were familiar with the look the settlement. She goes, you know what? I've heard that they they've been taking it, and I was like, well, you know, that's you know that's probably you know something that I could believe. You know, I know some cowboys that take it, and uh, and she says, and you know, just just to be honest, when's the last time you heard of an Amish person coming down with COVID? And she did it with, you know, with her head cocked to the side and like, see, you know, and what was funny, it started her kind of, you know, doubting the effectiveness of ivermectin and it came full, because it came to this conclusion where she's like, well, maybe they're on to something. And now this is the point where most people, whether, whether you agree or, uh, or disagree with ivermectin, uh, for, for prophylactic or after infection treatment, whether you that most people would probably just go, eh, you know, and let's let's ring up the the total. And uh, and I have friends that have pointed this out to me before, and they say this is a, a distinct uh, a, a distinct nature of my personality. A lot of times I will challenge it, even just things that you should let go. You'll, I'll just like, well, and and I looked at uh, Misty was just kind of like she kind of looked, she shot me a look, you know, out of the corner of her eye, and I went, well, and I could t- I could just feel her like, oh no 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 no. <laughs> And I said, well, I said, you know, you know, now that you mention it, I haven't heard the last time an Amish person had a, uh, a cold or strep throat or the flu. And, and she kind of started looking, she cocked her head, like, you know, it's kind of confused. And I was like, you know, I, I think the, one of the, the points of their, <laughs> their order is that they, they don't make news. <laughs> they don't, you know, they're not flashy with it. You know, like, what, what do you know about the Amish, like on any other medical? And she kind of laughed. She goes, well, that's a good point, I guess. I was like, yeah. So yeah, we don't know if they're having, you know, big, bad COVID issues, but I don't know any of their, their, their medical history. And I think they kind of like it that way. So oh, maybe a confounding variable that you're not thinking of when you produce statistics like that. Thank you for listening to the Kenny Chester podcast today. We hope that you enjoyed it. And if you have, you can always give us a subscribe on Apple iTunes or follow us on Spotify and leave us a great review. Thank you for listening. God bless. You've been listening to the Kenny Chester podcast. Please consider subscribing and leaving a review.